I like the way you say Colorado. I don't, do I say it weird? Yeah, Colorado. you say Colorado. <laughs> Colorado. Colorado. And then I say Colorado. Colorado. Like when the, oh, Colorado. And you say Colorado. <laughs> How do you guys pronounce Colorado? <laughs> I feel like Colorado. that's going to be. That's going to be a question. A I wonder if question. that's a Nebraska pronunciation. It sounds like a like a Midwestern thing. Because, you know, when you say Colorado, it reminds me. Did you ever see the cartoon called Bobby's World with Howie Mandel? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of the mom where she goes, don't you know? No. Where she, <laughs> she does that like Minnesota. Okay, hold on a second. Mom, say Colorado. Colorado. She says it too. <laughs> It's Nebraska. <laughs> it's because it's Nebraska. Nebraska way to say it. Yeah. Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of State of Murder. I'm your host, Selena Cooper. And I'm Amber Ratzla. And we are in the state of Colorado this week. Or Colorado. 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 <laughs> yes, we are. So the question I'll always ask you, have you been to Colorado? I have not, but that's probably the next state that we'll be headed to because uh, we have some friends that actually live in Denver. So um, right. it would be pretty cool. We're hoping that after all of this is over, uh, we can, we can head out to Colorado and see what's good over there. seems really cool. I'd like to go visit and then John really likes to snowboard. So I feel oh, like yes. that would be cool if so, we get to yeah, go, go there. In the winter. Mm -hmm. So that would be, that would be pretty cool. I can learn how to snowboard because as uh, we've learned in previous episodes, I think we, I don't do well in cold weather. Cold so. weather. <laughs> so you will not be, uh, you'll, you'll survive. You'll survive yeah. it. I think if I'm doing something in the snow, I'd be better. And then knowing that I'm not living there, that I'm just like visiting. Like visiting. And, mm -hmm. It's like that one time when you took Luna to the snow. Yeah, but I don't know if you can compare, compare the like little bit of snow in Shaver Lake to no. Colorado. <laughs> no, you can't. Because <laughs> even then when we took it's Luna, there wasn't a whole lot of snow. So. I, the only time I've driven through Colorado a couple of times and then um, I – we fly into Denver quite a bit, like when we head to Nebraska. Um, I haven't, I haven't spent too much time in Colorado, but I do have relatives that live in Colorado as well. So. All right. So what case do you have for us this week? So today I'm going to share with you the story of William Lee Neal also known as Wild Bill Cody. Neil, I guess would be his last name on that. So I know in our first episode, we stated that we wouldn't be covering serial killers and we'd focus just pretty much on lesser known true crime stories. However, I decided that this week's episode, we would cover Wild Bill Cody here as I had never heard of him. And I asked you, Selena, if you'd ever heard of him. And, and you I said, have so, um, and even though he is defined as a serial killer, I'm not quite sure he completely fits into that profile. So after I 
tell you what happened. I kind of would like to hear what Selena's opinion is on it. And okay. maybe the, the listeners will also form an opinion. So I'm going to share a little bit of background on him. So I'm going to call him. So his real name is just William Lee Neal. He changes his name halfway through the story. So, um, <laughs> so, so does he get like an alias or something like he had, or he gives himself no, a nickname? He, he does actually change his name, but um, he keeps a lot of it, but he changes it to Bill Cody Neal. And so I'm just going to refer to him as Cody because okay. that's just how I decided that I'm going to do it. So um, because that's kind of how he started to go by it by the end of this. So I'm just, instead of like switching over from like William Neal to like Cody Neal, I'm just going to do with Cody the entire time. Okay, so just so there's good. no confusion. So uh, Cody Neal was born on October 7th, 1955 in Fort Belvoir, Virginia. I don't know if I'm saying Belvoir right, but whatever. <laughs> so he was the youngest of five children. Um, when he was very young, his family moved to San Antonio, Texas, and Cody shared that he really, really loved his mother. She was like a really wonderful woman, very caring, giving, like he was the apple of her eye, like the kind of being the baby of the family. So she viewed him and like was very much, this is my baby, the baby. Oh, he's so wonderful. Yeah. So, however, in 1967, when Cody was about 12 years old, his father began drinking, and that's when, so all of this information um, I'm getting from a couple of places, so just so that you know, so a lot of it's from Cody himself is sharing it, so there was a book written um, about, so I got Murderpedia, um, I got a lot of information from the Department of Psychology at Radford University in Radford, Virginia. Uh, they did a really awesome timeline for this uh, story and kind of follow him from early on. So I got a lot of information from that. And then I also read a book by Steve Jackson. And I cannot think of the name of the book off the top of my head. So I'm going to look it up real quick. So okay. it's called Love Me to Death. So by Steve Jackson. So that's where I got a lot of my information on. So a lot of this is Cody's telling it. So take that as you will. Yeah. So it might not be, <laughs> it might not be a hundred percent accurate. So, um, so C Cody shared that at about 12 years old, his father began drinking and then he started to abuse him. Growing up, Cody was caught stealing when he was 10. Uh, he wasn't, they didn't like arrest him or anything, but, and then when he was 12 or 13, he ended up molesting a young girl. It never said in any of the places I looked how old the girl was at the time, but it did say that he molested her. Uh, Cody shared that he began a sexual relationship with an older married woman when he was 13. So he was sexually abused because a 13 year old is not having, getting into a sexual relationship with adult as being appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but then he was also molested by a church elder when he was a teenager. So it doesn't say if the church elder is male or female, but typically in churches in that day and age, you weren't having female elders. So I'm guessing it was yeah. male. So um, also when he was a teenager, he killed a cat with a fork. In yeah, front, that's a warning sign. Yeah, in front of his brother. So that's one of the, you know, warning signs of having some 
tendencies to be a serial killer, but yeah. Uh, so okay, so check one off the box right there. Uh, Cody then joined the army when he was 17, and he was reportedly raped by his sergeant. So he's had quite um, a troubled kind of sexual history. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that can sometimes be a common occurrence when it comes to serial killers. Mm -hmm. So, and in the mid-1980s, Cody was ended up being questioned by the FBI in a kidnapping, rape, and murder of a little girl in New York because he was in the area um, when it happened. But apparently, so his sister is the one who mentioned this, but he apparently was dropped as a suspect and there's not a lot of information. So it doesn't list because I, I mean, he wasn't ever tried or anything and he was yeah. dropped as a suspect. But it's interesting to me because it's like, why would they identify him just because he was in the area? I don't know, it seems weird. Yeah. So some red flags, but maybe it's because he had molested a girl when he was younger and that's well known. So, in the summer of 1981, Cody would meet his first wife, Karen Wilson. So, they met at Hudson Bay Outfitters. It's a store that Karen uh, managed in Washington, D.C. So, I'm guessing it's kind of like an REI. So okay. It kind of sells like sporting, like mountain climbing and all, all of the physical acti outdoor activities that I'm not into. <laughs> so, um, Wilson... Uh, so he was there looking for uh, stuff because he said he wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. So the, so Wilson, uh, I'm calling her, I'm going to call most people by their first names, but I'm going to call Wilson Wilson because there's more than one Karen in the story. So there are more than two Karens. So I'm going to okay. refer to the two Karens by their last names so it doesn't get confusing. Nah, uh, so Wilson described Cody as being really sweet, bubbly, and charming. Uh, she was 22 years old at the time, and she was a total avid outdoorsman. Uh, she almost made it into the Olympics for rowing or canoeing or kayaking, I don't know, whatever, some sort of boating thing. Um, she was very self-sufficient. She was financially doing really well because she was managing this store. Um, which it was unusual. She was the first management in this company to be a woman. So wow. very unusual. <clears throat> so uh, Wilson was the one to ask Cody out. Um, so when he arrived at the store, he was kind of, he was looking for the equipment. Uh, they didn't have it. So she sent him to their competitor. And after he walked out of the store, she was like, oh shit, he was hot. And so <laughs> <laughs> she ran after him, but he was gone. So she ended up driving to the competitor store and then he got off the bus and she was kind of like awkward then. I can't even imagine because I'm yeah. like, what the hell are you doing there? <laughs> but okay. And so then she kind of stammered and then she was like, oh, I hope you come in and I get to see you again. And so he just kind of smiled at her. Hey man, shoot your shot, I guess. I know. So uh, he ended up, coming back to her store the next day and he was totally dressed differently. So he was dressed in a three piece suit. He had a new haircut and then he ended up taking her out to lunch. And all of a sudden he was driving a brand new Subaru, uh, like four okay. by four. So that's, I mean, those were, those are still pretty expensive cars. So, yeah. um, and then he gave her a silver necklace on the first date. So this is the very next day and it had, um, 
it was like a kind of a charm necklace and the charm was the like logo for the outfitters that she worked at. So it was like some sort of soaring eagle something. And so okay. he had had it specially made in a day. So really he, he had quite the game. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So Wilson was falling really hard for Cody and her family really loved him because uh, of like he stopped, he helped her stop drinking and smoking marijuana. And then when she did meet him, she was in an abusive relationship and he helped her leave that boyfriend and move back in with her parents. So they started mm -hmm. dating on and off for three years, uh, separating only when Cody would disappear for months at a time and not tell her where he was going and then just kind of pop back up mm -hmm. whenever. <laughs> and so she would take him back every time he returned and she remembers that he would always toss around money like it was nothing, but she never understood where he got all this money from. So he once told her he was a loan officer, but then he saw her, like she saw him driving in like kind of an armored car, like he was like a security guard. Mm -hmm. um, so she just was like, okay, but she never felt that it was her place to ask him. Uh, why not? I don't know. I would 100% be like, uh, what do you do? Where do you work? Yeah, where do you work? What's going on? Uh, That's like she did a first date question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's get to know each other. Like that's surface level questions in my opinion. <laughs> like, yeah. Where are you? What, what do you do for a living? Um, and what time period is this taking place again? 1981. So it's not even like it's super like, I don't know, outdated to ask those kinds of questions. It's not like you're asking yeah. him how much he makes. You're just asking <laughs> what he does. Yeah. But, and she just believed everything he told her, she believed. So um, the only time she ever feels, re remembers really being uncomfortable in the relationship at the beginning was that like anytime they were walking down the street and he would see like a woman or a woman would look at him or it was an attractive woman or a woman wearing a short skirt, he would mutter under his breath and like call them whores and sluts. And uh -huh. yeah. And so she would told him to stop doing it because it made her uncomfortable. But he, you know, he was like, whatever. So he, he Did just she ever like, dress like in short skirts or anything like that? She never mentions what she wears. So because it would be interesting if like it was offending her, like, or what he would say, like if he would judge her for how she looked or what she would yeah. wear. Well, he gets to be, he's a real peach in a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, Cody would like do the like put her to the test in certain situations so one time he brought her to this romantic cabin in the woods by the mountains um, and stated that he wanted to set up her fantasy so he used to ask her like what her fantasies were like had she ever thought about this or this what does she feel about doing two guys at once like you know. I'm sorry he can ask that and you can't ask the man what he does <laughs> Yeah. for a living yeah so she was you know and so they talked about their fantasies I mean they're a couple like okay I get that so they go out on this really romantic weekend and uh so then he tells her that he has a friend coming over and she would be able to experience sleeping with two men and she totally freaked out and she's like it's a fantasy it's not something I really want to have happen I only want to be sleeping with you like what the hell are you thinking who just does that yeah like doesn't even talk to her about it it's just like I hey know. I'm gonna have my friend Joe here come over I know uh so she was like uh no thank you so he ends up calling his friend and just saying no and hanging up and so and then he's like that was a test and you passed 
and and so and he's like I think that's even more infuriating than the fact that he just went and made plans but the fact that it was a test air quotes yeah, like, air quotes, yeah. yeah. and so um, and that if she had actually gone through with it he would have left her the next day but they would have had fun that night <laughs> it keeps getting more infuriating <laughs> I know. I'll be like, peace out, asshole. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave now then. <laughs> yeah. So in 1984, they moved to, they end up moving to Houston, Texas, where he told her he was getting this brand new awesome job. But shocker of shockers, when they got there, he didn't actually have a job. And he made her get a job. So she became an assistant manager of a company. And then 10 days after they moved, he just took her to the Justice of the Peace and they got married. Like, he didn't even really ask her about it. He just was like, here, we're going to go. We're going to get married. Okay. <laughs> and so that night, he decided to test her again. And so the second test was he asked her if she'd ever slept with a married man. And so she admitted that she had actually slept with a married man before when she was younger. So he got became enraged, quickly knocked her to the ground, and started screaming in her face, you're a liar, you're a whore. Uh, which she was shocked about because he had never been violent before. Uh, although he had told her he was proficient in karate, he was actually apparently a black belt, which I'm sure you were, and <laughs> that he also kept a lot of swords and nunchucks, 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 however you pronounce it, around. Yeah, so so uh, then he made her call the wife of the man she slept with and confess everything. How long ago was that? This was, oh, how long ago had she slept? Well, they've been in a relationship for three years, so, like, probably, Because like, I'm like, seven. what a weird, like, I don't know, like, so yeah. long ago, and now this yeah. random chick and now this whole, call. And now you've totally screwed that marriage up, and I mean, not that I condone cheating in any way, shape, or form, and that married man's an asshole. And, you know, if she knew he was married, that's not cool either. But, like, seriously, like, but oh again, my, I can't. But again, like, four years, three years, maybe more, like, and mm -hmm. now you're just uprooting this whole thing. Yeah, exactly. So crazy. So, um, he, and then, of course, he, like, made her believe it was all her fault. Uh, so the, the question games would continue to happen. And then he started, like, every time she would fail, he would get more physically abusive. So he would knock her to the ground. He would start choking her. Um, he became very emotionally abusive towards her. So very, like, he, very typical, I think, um, started isolating her from her friends and family. And yeah. soon her parents had had enough of Cody. So, like, that shine from the beginning quickly wore off. Uh, yeah. So they ended up, they were pretty well off, so they had quite a bit of money, so they ended up changing their will so that he would never be able to inherit any of the money. Okay. Uh, so, and then Wilson also started to kind of realize that he was a con artist, so mm. she's trying, she's kind of starting to go, what is going on? Yeah. So Cody ends up moving them to, so he's like, okay, and he decides that he's going to move them to Tennessee, so, um, they float around they live in a van for like a little bit they float around from all these different states like they just aren't staying in one place she thinks it's exciting so she's still there she's starting to kind of be like okay this guy's a little bit off you know but you know yeah, it's like, like you a violence you know like honeymoon yeah. phase use, i'm sorry he never says i'm sorry though yeah <laughs> but even too for her like without i think maybe in her mind it might be like oh well 
it like I don't have enough proof yet or there's not enough evidence that he's a like even if she suspects it maybe she's yeah, kind of holding out for some bigger yeah I mean she's she's still in love with him sadly. yeah so uh they moved to Tennessee she's always her lifelong goal she moved she had visited Tennessee when she was a little younger and she'd always wanted to live there so they moved to Tennessee and so she was super happy she got a job and then he started doing the disappearing again where he would just disappear for a little bit uh, then he told her that his mom was selling her house and so he needed to go and help her do that so he was gone for months but he would always call her and be like where were you I knew you were late coming home why are you drinking beer and like knew all these weird things like how was he knowing this I mean this is in the 80s so it's not like he had like cameras on her that he could just like yeah see. and he's supposed to be out of state or yes yeah so so she's like what the heck and so he comes back and he tells her he wants a divorce and so she's like oh, what the heck and felt yeah. like it was out of the blue and then he leaves again and then he comes back eight months later and like is back with her and at this time so like when he first told her he wanted a divorce he left so she's talking to the neighbors and it's like yeah he left me he wants a divorce it's out of the blue and the neighbors told her oh you know um he came up to us and asked us to do write a diary about your comings and goings because you couldn't be trusted and this couple did it so that's how like every time he knew she was late from work or bringing in beer or all this stuff it's because his like neighbors were spying on her and writing it in a diary <laughs> who does that I, no, I worst do. neighbors ever mind your own damn business so he comes back after the first time he says he wants a divorce and she takes him back and they're together for a little bit and then she comes home and he has sold all of her belongings Oh and, my god. I know. <laughs> and so uh, he um so then she's like, What? And then he's like, I'm gonna divorce you, so I want a divorce. And so he ends up divorcing her. And <laughs> like uh, so this is just kind of yeah, just he's crazy. <laughs> so so then Cody ended up marrying another woman named Karen Boxer in nineteen eighty nine. Um so when he went in about a year into that marriage, he took out a $9,000 advance on her credit cards and removed all the money from her savings. Uh, so he's wow. kind of using her. So, so then they got a divorce. She called, she called and reported it. And so the cops started investigating and never says where that investigation went to. It just mentioned that. So okay. Yeah. And then so, where's the other Karen Wilson? So where's... the other Karen's still in Tennessee. She's okay. living her life. She realized, hey, I'm better off without him. And all that time that he was off on his own, she was like becoming more successful, able to live on her own, making reconnecting with her friends and family. And yeah. so she was like, okay, I'm cool. All right, you go, girl. I know you go, Karen. Karen Wilson. So so now we're with Karen Boxer. Uh, mm -hmm. So they end up getting a divorce, and then in 1993, he marries another woman named Jennifer Tate. So, oh, I was going to say, if her name is Karen, too. <laughs> I have a friend that <laughs> dated my good friend Dave, then married a Dave, and then married another Dave. <laughs> you think that name would just be like... After a little bit. 
like yeah no. that you just would it would be an off-limits but, sort of name yeah dave's a popular name though but no not karen and i just keep thinking because karen's all these memes now <laughs> like, yeah because a karen is like a white women <laughs> yeah like the women who call the managers yeah freaking karen uh, <laughs> so my aunt's name is karen and I love her. I don't, I don't have anyone in my family named Karen. But uh, so we'll get back to this. So Jennifer, he, so he marries a lady named Jennifer Tate. So, okay. and Jennifer and Cody end up having a baby together. So, and, and the just entire- really quick, where are they at? Are they still in Tennessee or is he? No, no. Okay. Good, good call. So no, uh, he now lives, he, he went back to Texas. He's kind of all over the place. He's floating all over the place at this point. Okay. So, so he, he was married, in Tennessee he, with Wilson. He was in Tennessee. A, he he met Karen in Oregon, the next Karen, Karen Boxer. Okay. I, I believe he met her in Oregon. And okay. then they moved to like Texas for a little while. And then now they're in Colorado. Okay. <laughs> so now we're in Colorado, finally, our state here. <laughs> so Jennifer and Cody, they meet, um, Jennifer was a stripper. And so Cody met her at a bar and at this point, um, Cody's go, getting a little wild, but uh, they end up having a daughter, a little baby girl. So the entire time uh, that all these relationships are going, Cody keeps calling the first Karen, Karen Wilson, and updating her on his life. And, and she still talks to him. Huh. So, I, yeah. So he shares that he has moved to Denver and that he's spending a lot of times in bars, and he's st- started to go, and he has changed his name to Wild Bill Cody. Yeah. So, when so then when par- Wilson's parents die, uh, and she inherits all this money, Cody starts calling her again and <laughs> asking her for the money. And so she's like, "No," and he's like, "Well, I'm in trouble with the mafia." Yeah, just okay. That sounds like a personal problem. Yeah, um, and he's like, and if I don't pay them back their money, they're gonna kill me. And she still said, no, I'm not gonna give you the money. So he didn't call her back until October 1995, when his mother died. And this time, he didn't ask her for money. Then he just needed somebody to cry on because he was really upset because he really loved his mom and actually Wilson really really liked his mom too and stepped and kept in contact with her so just like just keep on manipulation of Wilson like it's like he's constantly in contact with her um then uh he calls back soon after that uh stating that he needs money because he needs to divorce Jennifer uh I know. (laughs) And she's like, no, I'm not giving you any money. Uh, So then um, Wilson ends up calling his sister and is like, dude, he keeps asking me for this money for this divorce. And his sister's like, he's already divorced. (laughs) Like that's done and gone. Wow. Yeah. So he, um, he was really, really abusive to Jennifer. So he was really emotionally and physically abusive to her. He wouldn't, he would always want to know where she's at. Just a very typical controlling male behavior. And the um, same things and, he was doing to the other women, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It didn't say if he was doing it, it to the second Karen. With, with Karen number two, but we'll see a pattern because we're going to okay. talk about many more women. Oh, okay. <laughs> this man is a player. And if I showed you his, his picture, you'd be like, what? 
but apparently in his younger years, he was quite the man. He had like a six pack ab, flowing blonde hair, beautiful twinkling eyes. Like who gives a shit what he looks like? He's a piece of shit. But yeah, (laughs) he had to have something that all these women were so drawn to him. Mm -hmm. But so uh, Jennifer was really, really worried about her daughter. So at this point, her daughter was like three years old. And she was really worried that he might molest her daughter because she knew about um, him being in New York, like the being questioned about that molestation, but she did not know about when he was 13 and molested a little girl. She didn't know Mm -hmm. about that, but I think she was starting to realize that this guy's a piece of shit. And so she was like, oh my gosh. And so they got divorced in 1996 so when he was calling for that money, like obviously she, he was, he was getting that he had already been divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, and all Cody requested when they filed for divorce is that he, st- she stayed the hell out of his life and that he really didn't want any contact with her, or their daughter. Um, and the only time he ever showed interest in their daughter is if he was around a crowd and it was like, it looked good on him. Uh, Otherwise it was like, whatever. Yeah. So it was like a prop. Yeah. So the next woman to enter Cody's life was Rebecca Holberton. Uh, They met at a party. Rebecca was really shy. She was 42 and recently divorced. Wasn't really looking for the romance. However, she really liked Cody. So Rebecca thought he was cute, had a lot of charm, was a really great listener. He gave really good advice. Uh, She shared, uh, and then he shared with her that he, like the first night that they were talking, that he really loved his daughter, but his ex-wife was an evil, unfaithful stripper who kept keeping their daughter for, from him, and he was trying to file for custody. Wow. He's still so, using his kid as a prop. That's oh, yeah. ridiculous. Oh, yeah. So, yet again, nobody knew where he was getting his money from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, he shared that he had a trust fund that was tied up in Las Vegas but that it would be coming in soon once the courts let it go. Uh, then he'd be getting that money. He'd get money, he said, from the mafia or who, what he called the family. Um, other times he told <laughs> I did my quotes and my little, like, sarcastic Yeah, thing. I'm like, uh, how many times did you watch Godfather? <laughs> was so, Godfather out in the 80s? It was out yeah, in the oh, 80s. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, 70s. Okay. Yeah, 70s. Okay, I was like, it was before that. <laughs> yeah. Um, he had other times said he was a hitman or a bounty hunter. So he, I mean, he's making all these stories up. Uh, so he started dressing all in black. So he had like, he wore like, um, all black, black jeans, black shirt, uh, black cowboy hat, black boots. And then, you know, those like long, like cowboy jackets. I don't know what they're called. So he'd sometimes wear that, uh which really surprised his first wife because that's totally not the kind of guy he was before he went to Denver. So, but then again, he changed his name to Wild Bill and I'm like, okay, like that's- Well, cause Wild Bill Cody is, Bill Cody is um, yeah. Buffalo Bill, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, okay guy, whatever. But um, a lot of the people that he was drinking with in the bars kind of knew he was full of shit, and, but he- always had money and was always tipping and always buying drinks and he was the life of the party. Yeah, so who so would they're like, tell your to... stupid ass stories. None of us are going to believe whatever. Just yeah. keep, keep the money going. So uh, it was soon to be found out that the money he spent was um, 
from business associates, wasn't his, it was from business associates and any women that they could, he could con out of their savings. So when I was reading this, I really, I don't know if you ever listened to the Dirty John podcast or the movie yes. or all this stuff. So he really started to remind me of Dirty John, like oh, and how he's okay. swindling all these women out of their money and mm -hmm. like, his, I'm going to put in quotation marks here, good looks yeah. and charm. So that's just what came to my mind. Um, so by July of 1996, uh, Rebecca would have Cody move into her house with her. Uh, she had just recently moved. So they met in 96. Uh, she had moved to Colorado in 95 because um, she'd just gotten a divorce and she wanted a fresh, fresh start. Her neighbors thought that she was pretty distant and never returned greetings and never stopped to chat with them. And as soon as Cody moved in, she never introduced him to anybody. And he ended up covering up all the windows of her house with butcher paper and nobody could quite understand why that he would do that. Uh, Where was she from originally? Oregon. Oregon. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, that's kind of weird. Because like, unless she came from like a big city, I don't see why she would be distant. Because like, I feel like in bigger cities, yeah, like LA or New York, you're not quite as like friendly. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I've never lived in Oregon. Sky. She was pretty, like, she was kind of shy. Oh, that's right. So she's just. So I don't know, maybe that's why. But so they moved in together. And just like with all of his other relationships, the honeymoon period soon faded. And the real Cody came to light. He started to come and go again as he pleased, spending days away from the house. He started to see other women who we'll introduce in a little bit. Uh, however, this relationship lasted for two years, from 1996 to 1998. And Cody would end up borrowing more than $60,000 from Rebecca, which wow. she didn't actually have that. She put most of it on credit cards. So like getting cash advances. Oh so, my God. I know. By June of 1998, she had had enough and wanted money, wanted her money back and wanted to start making some changes. She was getting a new job. Well, it's not a new position. I think she was getting some sort of promotion. Mm -hmm. That was going to start on July 6th, and she decided she wanted Cody out of her home and her life by that time. Uh, but first, she wanted to get her money back, which I don't blame you. The 60 grand is a lot of money. Yeah. So on June 29th, Cody told her that he had the money to pay her back and told her to write the check uh, to pay her credit card bills uh, that his trust fund had finally come in. He said the money would be in her account the next day and he'd be giving her a surprise to demonstrate his gratitude for all of her patience. Okay, so now we're doing the runaround money thing like my Vegas story where the guy was like, yeah, I'll send you a check. Yeah, I'll send you a check. It's in the mail. It's all good. It's good. Yeah. Uh, um, on June 30th, Cody drove to a building supply store where he bought lava soap, nylon rope, duct tape, a seven and a half pound axe, um, he had the list. He knew exactly what he needed. He ended up driving to Rebecca's house, parked in the garage, and went to see if she was awake. So this was in the morning of June 30th. Mm -hmm. She was still up. She was, she was up, but she was dressed in her nightgown. Uh, he asked her, are you ready for your surprise? He had her sit down on a chair facing, a kitchen chair facing the sliding glass window. He put a heavy briefcase in her lap, and he went to the kitchen, popped a bottle of champagne, did a toast to their new lives. He then covered her head with a blanket and stated he would be right back. He went into the garage, grabbed the ax he had bought, 
walked in, raised it above his head, and aimed it at her skull and struck her again and again until she fell out of the chair. Oh my he god, he went full-on American psycho her. Oh yeah. He then uncovered her body, placed her head into a plastic bag um, so that it wouldn't bleed out on the floor. He then wrapped her body in black, black plastic bags, duct taped her so she looked like a mummy. Uh, turning, she no he noticed that there was a skull, a piece of her skull on the floor. He picked it up, wrapped it up in a paper towel, and left it there. So that's the end of Rebecca. Oh, no. So on July 3rd, three days after killing Rebecca, Cody would bring another woman, Candace Walters, back to the house. Cody had met Candace around Christmas time while she was bartending at a hotel. She noticed that he was really charismatic and very generous with the tipping. So Candace shared with her daughter that he was very sensitive as he almost cried when sharing with her the struggles he had getting custody of his daughter from his evil ex-wife. Wow. So, <laughs> you're going to see like all of this is like, okay, he does the exact same MO with everybody. Yeah. So... Candace would call, so, oh, here, Candace had been divorced for 25 years. Um, she made really good friends with her ex-husband. She even, once, they, when they got a divorce, she got all of the furniture in the divorce, so she used some inheritance she had gotten to buy him all new furniture. Uh, they just had a really good relationship, so she was, like, she's just a really nice person. She had a mm -hmm. really strong bond with her daughter, Holly. Um, every day, uh, they would call and talk to each other. They lived in the same apartment complex. Uh, so all Candace wanted in life was to own a very small house, a dog, and be able to spend her free time kind of doing whatever she liked to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's everybody's. I mean, I would also yeah. like to do um, so, uh, so when Candace shared that she had started dating a man and had was really infatuated with him, her daughter was really surprised but because Holly was kind of like, mm, and Holly started getting really suspicious of Cody. So people like not in relationships with him. And I think younger people a little bit now are kind of just like, this guy's a little bit on the creepy side. Especially Which is funny oh, oh, yeah, that you ahead. brought up Dirty John because that was the issue there is her daughter. Her daughter. And yeah, yeah her daughter was like, like no. Shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, Holly got really, really um, suspicious when Cody borrowed six grand from Candace. So, oh my god so and then when he wasn't paying it back both candace and holly started growing very suspicious especially when holly caught him in a lie when he said he was out of town and she saw him talking on the payphone down the street she was kind of like uh he's not out of town why are you lying to my mom yeah uh so they started to do some investigating uh because they wanted to know because yet again they didn't know what his job was, where he lived, like there were a lot of questions. Like we said basic first date stuff, like they mm -hmm. had no answers for. So uh, Cody used the same story he told Rebecca about getting money and told her um, that he wanted to surprise her. So on June 3rd, she sold her a car because he was like, I'm going to buy you a house. I'm going to buy you a car. You just need to sell your old piece of shit car. Um, we're moving on up. Mm -hmm. so because his millions came in uh so she sold her car on july 3rd for three thousand dollars cody came and picked her up at her house um drove to rebecca's house um and he told her he apologized for the house being such a mess um he said there was some construction going on which there was the carpet had been pulled up because uh, rebecca was going to put hardwood floors in so mm -hmm. candace didn't pay any attention to the black uh, big black object in the corner of the room um 
Cody told her to sit down in a chair facing the sliding glass door, placed a heavy briefcase on her lap, tried to cover her head but with a blanket, but she refused to, saying it was going to mess up her hair. So he told her, close your eyes, don't peek, I have a surprise for you. He went to the garage, got the axe, he raised it above his head and hit her twice above her left ear and then her neck. After he put the axe down, he went over to her slump body and urinated on her head and shoulders. Wow. He then placed her head in a plastic bag, drug her over to the fireplace and covered her with a blanket. He then took a mattress uh, and drug it by the sliding glass door. So then on July 5th, he brought (laughs) another woman back to the house. Her name was Suzanne Scott. He had, she had met Cody through her roommate and started to hang out with him. So they kind of, they were kind of dating, not really. He was about 20 years older than her, but he was like, okay. Um, So, so Suzanne knew that Cody had another girlfriend, friend named Angela Fright. So on July 5th, Cody told Suzanne that he was going to go pick her up from where they were, um, from where she was staying in her apartment. And they were going to go to Las Vegas. So, and have a good time. Uh, So he picked her up around seven. He then took her to a bar and then he told her he had a real good surprise for her roommate. So he used to date her roommate too. I mean, this guy's all around the place, but, um, but he wanted to test it out on her first. (laughs) Okay. And now we're how many days away from when? So Rebecca died on June 30th. This is July 5th. Okay, and nobody has noticed that these other two women are missing. No, not yet. Okay. Um, so he drove to Rebecca's house, pulled into the garage. He then blindfolded her, put duct tape around her mouth. He directed her to the bed he had put on the floor by the sliding glass door and um, next to the kitchen chair. He then tied her to, so he put bolts, like he had bolted some like, I don't know, big screws to the floor and Mm -hmm. gotten his rope. He remember he bought rope. Um, And so he ended up tying her spread eagle to the bed. Um, He then told her to shut up and stop crying. Uh, And then he asked her if he'd ever, if she'd ever seen a human skull before, which he Mm. then took the skull that he'd wrapped up in the paper towel and laid it on her stomach. Oh God. I know. And then he said, and then he grabbed it and tossed it over to the big black object in the corner. And then he showed her the two dead bodies. So he then then told her if she made any sounds that the people upstairs would come down and kill her. And then he left the house. The only thing she could hear was the country music he laid, he left playing on the radio. Actually it was on TV, kind of a radio station. Mm-hmm. About two commercial breaks, this is how she knew the time period. About two commercial breaks later, he returned with another woman. Suzanne knew the woman as Cody's other girlfriend, Angela. So Angela was really fun. She was divorced with two children. Angela thought she was, uh, Cody was taking her to a new house he had bought her. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, nope. that's not the case. Um, instead, he, so he put, he drove her into the house, got out in the garage, put a blindfolder, blindfold on her. He directed to her chair and duct taped her arms, asking if she could get out. When she showed him that she could, he wrapped more tape around her arms and legs and then asked her how her day was going. 
what the heck is wrong with this dude? I know. And then he removed her blindfold. And as she looked around, she could see the two lumps on the floor and the woman tied to the mattress. And Cody said, welcome to my mortuary. Oh my God. Angela looked over to Suzanne and said, I'm sorry, but I don't think we're going to get out of here alive, are we? After a little while, Cody went, got his axe, and hit Angela over the head with it, all while, while Suzanne watched in horror. Because oh she's tied God. to the bed. She she's tied, yeah, she can't do anything. He then put the axe away, sat down on the chair, um, and they could hear the blood pouring out of Angela's head, like a faucet is how it was described. Oh, my God. Cody then reached over, grabbed the blanket, and put it over Angela's body and said, "I'll just so we can't listen, so we don't have to listen to that sound. Wow. So then Cody undressed and ended up raping Suzanne. Mm. When he, I know. So when he was done, he sat back in his chair and started watching television. And while he was watching, he talked with Suzanne, telling her that all these women had had fair warning and he hated to do it, but Angela just couldn't be trusted. So Suzanne was quick to agree with him, stating she couldn't be trusted. That's right. She couldn't be trusted and he was right to kill her. She asked him for a blanket because she was cold and if he would sit next to her and hold her hand. She thought if he held her hand, he would, she would be able to know if he was going to get up and get the axe if she fell asleep. Mm -hmm. The only Smart. time that they left, they left the bed that night was when she had to use the bathroom. In the morning, he untied her again, let her use the bathroom, and told her to get dressed. And as soon as that she did, they left the house. He drove her back to her apartment and let her take a shower while he gathered up all of the phones. He told her that they had a few places to go, um, but, but he wanted her apartment to look like, because remember, they're supposed to go on that trip to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So he wanted it to look like they'd just come back. So he didn't want her unpacking the suitcase. He just wanted it to look like they had just arrived back from their trip. Um, and then uh, they took off again. Uh, so he, they went to a few places. So they went and got food to eat. They ended up going to the mall together, Radio Shack, and then rented a movie. Okay. Then, then he drove her back to Rebecca's house. And so does he have anything on her? Like when they're like, is she tied up or? Um, he has some guns. So he has like okay. a shotgun in the back of the truck. And then he, I think he has a couple of handguns. So he does have some guns. So. Okay. Cause I'm like, he's taking a risk that she's not mm -hmm. going to just like run and be like, dude, this guy's going to kill me. Cause what's he going to do? Like... I know. So totally true. So uh, he takes Suzanne back to Rebecca's house, but she starts freaking out and begs him not to take her inside. So he listens and drives her back to her apartment. Oh my God. When they return, Suzanne's roommate returns um, and Cody tells her to tell her roommate what had happened. <laughs> and so Suzanne just starts crying. So she can't get it out. So... Cody decides to share and tells the roommate, so the roommate's one of his ex-girlfriends, um, what had happened. So they're both, now they're all stuck in the apartment and Cody, Cody's like, okay, um, I'm gonna, so the next morning they stay, they watch a movie, they hang out, have, I'm sure not fun times for them. Yeah, uh, they're just trying to stay morning, alive. 
Cody tells them they better not call anybody or the police because if they do, more people are going to die. And then he leaves. So he leaves them in the apartment by themselves. Neither women try to escape, but Suzanne did gather all of her clothes she had been wearing the night before and put them in a bag and told her roommate to take them to the police if anything happened to her. Smart. So, I mean, that's smart. So on July 8th, so this is getting to be like a, a, yeah. a little over a week after Rebecca was killed, uh, Cody ends up calling his friend Steve Grund, who happens to be a newscaster um, at one of the local, I, I'm guessing, I don't know, it didn't say TV or radio, so it could be either, but he's a local mm -hmm. newscaster and decides to share his story. Grund oh my God. Him until, oh, I didn't share this part. Cody returns to the apartment. So now he's back with Suzanne and her roommate. Okay. So he just left for a little bit. So, uh, so, so Grun's like, I don't believe you. Um, so, and so he has the girl share the story and then Grun realizes that this is the truth. So Cody told him that three women would be, um, would only be the beginning and that he was thinking of killing around 30 more people. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. So Cody then told Suzanne and her roommate that he was going to, going to leave and probably kill himself. And once that, once he left, they should probably call the police and then wait outside for them. So he takes off and Suzanne calls the police and they wait outside for them. And when the police arrive, of course, Suzanne and her roommate are completely hysterical at this point. Yeah. I mean, I could not imagine. So while all this part was going on, little did they know, did Cody know that the bodies had already been discovered as Rebecca's employers had called for a welfare check when she didn't show up for work. Yeah. So the investigators, they went and looked and they saw, they looked into the windows and they could see the bodies of the three women. Yeah, because um, I'm like, she was up for a promotion. So I was like, yeah. they would have to like yeah, be curious so about where she's at. So she didn't show up on the 6th. And when she didn't show up on the 7th, one of her coworkers went and checked her house. And when nobody responded, but she saw her, like a car drive up, her car drive up and drive. Like she just knew something was shady. So they called mm -hmm. in. Good. So if that ever happens to me, please call it in. Like if I don't show up work randomly. <laughs> For a yeah, and days. you if you don't answer a text, then I'm gonna be like, nope, yep, we're yeah, exactly, mm -mm. exactly. So the investigators decided to try and call Page. I, this is in the era of pagers, right? Because mm -hmm. it's '98. Uh, or, yeah. Uh, uh, so they try to page Cody, and were surprised when he returns the call and spoke to Suzanne's roommate. He then spoke with the Jefferson County Sheriff investigators, and they talked to him for about an hour. And Cody apparently was all over the place. He stated mm -hmm. that he was a great killer for the mafia family. Going back to, he really liked the mafia. Had yeah. already murdered 500 people and that he was planning on killing again. So oh, okay. Cody at that time asked to talk to his attorney. Uh, they actually knew his attorney and he apparently was no longer practicing law. He was a, a sous chef in Denver for a restaurant. So they were like, uh, he can't represent you. And so yeah. then Cody, Cody asked for a public defender so the police at the time were worried that if he if they let him talk to a lawyer, then he might stop talking to them. And mm -hmm. as they hadn't placed him under arrest yet, and he wasn't in custody, uh, his Miranda yeah. rights hadn't been none of that pertains. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they're like, 
keep talking, man. You're just incriminating yourself because they're recording all of this stuff. Yeah. They have the newscasters recording of his story. So Mm -hmm. they don't want to give him that. So, uh, and he's still kind of on the lam, right? So he's, they don't have him. So instead the police call the district attorney and ask him to pose as the public defender. Okay. This is apparently because uh, district attorneys are sworn police officers and they can arrest people, which I, I did not know. know that. So uh, they, he talks to him and they end up getting Cody to surrender and Cody ends up pleading guilty to the murders and ends up representing himself in the sentencing other part of this okay. trial. Which is very Ted Bundy of him. <laughs> yes. Except Ted Bundy actually went to law school. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this guy, he's a This guy did this, not. This guy's all over the place with things he said. He said he was part of the Green Berets at one point. Like, he's just like, he, yeah. I, so you never know what he's actually done. So you yeah. Can't, like I said, you can't trust anything. So um, he was sentenced to, so he was, he thought that if he represented himself and he was able to talk to the jury, he'd be able to convince them not to give him the death penalty, um, mm-hmm. which didn't happen. He was given the death penalty. Yeah. However, in 2003, that changed to life in prison. So okay. I, I don't know if Colorado, I think Colorado put a moratorium on death penalty cases. I'm not quite sure. Don't quote me on that, but that's, so that is the story of Wild Bill Cody Neal or William Lee Neal, however you want to pronounce it, however you want to call him, uh, mm-hmm. the serial killer. Yeah. So you were saying that you doubted that he was a serial killer? Well, he killed three people in a week's time. That's he did. sort of a spree killing because he didn't have a cooling off period. Most serial oh, killers. You would say that the days would be a cooling off period because normally like i don't know what would define us like i mean because ted bunny had some time i know so i was iffy because i'm like i could see it so yeah i don't the department of psychology radford university um at radford university uh this was uh research for about serial killers so it gives you like all of this um a kind of a checkoff list on okay. whether or not he's a serial killer but i don't know yeah I yeah mean, i don't know add what their definite fbi we did add what the mass shooting definition by fbi was yeah so that was yeah the for the last episode we were trying mm-hmm. to figure out like what is there a specific number that makes it a mass shooting and yeah mm-hmm. so it's um it was four or more oh, or yeah. four or more people without any cooling off period so basically like you're going in and killing multiple people yeah. in a short short period of time so i don't know if i he wouldn't be a mass shooter because there was a no, i would say those no. days would count as a cooling off period um, I know, but I would still, because, like, even spree kill, like, people who are considered spree killers, it's, like, back to back to back, but it doesn't necessarily mean within the hour or anything, it's just... Yeah, let's see, a spree killer is someone who kills two or more victims in a short time in multiple locations. He killed them all in the same... Same location, location? but, I mean, serial killers kill in multiple locations, too, so, I don't know. Yeah, so I think it would just depend... 
Um, but it does say a serial killer is typically a person who murders three or more people, usually in service of abnormal psychological gratification, with the murders taking place over more than a month and including mm-hmm. a significant period of time between them. Okay, yeah. so I could see based yeah. on that that he probably wouldn't be. Yeah, so Murderpedia and a couple other places identify him as a serial killer. I think he's more of a spree killer, but I mean, semantics really, I mean, just. Yeah, I mean, a murderer for yeah. sure. So, I mean. Yeah. Murderer, rapist, to- torture. I mean, just the psychological torture. I didn't follow up on what happened to Suzanne after all of this, but Mm -hmm. I mean, how smart of her to like try to identify with him and be like, yeah, you're right. She wasn't trustworthy. And then to have like, can you imagine having this guy who you just saw act somebody to death and then um, have him like sleep next to you and sleep next to you? That's smart because then she would know if he got up I mean, I mean well I don't know what she would do I guess <laughs> maybe I would rather maybe try to plead with him or try yeah. to like reason or not reason but try to get manipulate him I guess into yeah. not doing it because he obviously true. kept her alive for some purpose like for some reason yeah, yeah. that's it's it an interesting really say, but I don't think he won't he she didn't loan him any money oh so maybe he was gonna try to blackmail him but it's interesting too that he's he kind of just gave himself up maybe it wasn't as exciting as he thought it would be to kill people or what but it was very interesting because the whole axe killing and then the plastic and all that stuff it does remind me of the movie american psycho with christian bale like when he kills that guy and it's it's i don't know it's just that interesting except that guy was like a i guess he would be considered a yuppie he was like in yeah street or whatever um whereas this guy was just a con man who apparently turned murderer so he just I don't know if he was just angry it doesn't really give he he says he turned himself in because he needed to be punished for what he did so and he he was guilty and he needed to be stopped so okay so maybe some some morality came out which is also very interesting for somebody who yeah murders in that fashion because it wasn't just like he got upset and killed one person it's like that was calculated like he went out and basically dated and brought more people home Mm -hmm. like yeah Yeah. well and his first wife like she said that he was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde like he had two distinct personalities and it it was like a flip of the switch and I wondered did they evaluate him at all for any it um, it it doesn't say that he he was diagnosed with on in the psychology report it does not say he was diagnosed with any sort of mental health or having any diagnosis so that's super interesting I'm sure I'm sure he does but yeah but normally they're pretty quick on on decide like diagnosing in that sense yeah but that's interesting that they didn't classify him as anything yeah that's an interesting case thank you for sharing you're welcome case are you doing today my story is called uh the story of denver's spider-man um which caught me because that was a very interesting like name and i'd never heard of it before and it's not spider-man like the superhero it has nothing okay because that's what i thought i was like oh because you're a really big marvel fan <laughs> yeah which is what like 
draw drew me in and I was like oh okay like I guess that like that's pretty cool um but it didn't have anything to do with that and so um this spider-man uh his name is Theodore Coney's I think I'm saying that right it's c-o-n-e-y-s um so I'm gonna call him Coney's okay that's so, all right, yeah. Yeah, so Theodore Coney's was born November 10th, 1882. Um, so this week I have the Ooh, back you're of the day doing case. A, yeah. I know. Um, but it jumps forward in time. But he was born in eight, November 10th, 1882 in Petersburg, Illinois. Uh, when his father, T.H. Coney's, passed away just six years later, uh, Miss Coney's took her son and they moved to Wisconsin. Uh, it didn't really have too much about like what prompted it, but in 1907, the two moved to Denver, Colorado, where Miss Coney found a job as a housekeeper um, that she had until her death in 1911. So some reports that I said that I read um, in the articles because I got it again from Murderpedia, Wikipedia, um, and then there was a Ranker. Uh, com article about it. So there was some, some differences in when she died. So someone said she died in 1907. Other people said she died in 1911. Um, so I just went with 1911 because it seemed to be more accurate of a timeline. So growing up, Theodore suffered from a respiratory illness. Uh, it was most likely tuberculosis based on the time period and was told by various doctors that he would not live to see the age of 18. Uh, since his, uh, he had a respiratory illness, he was very frail. Um, and despite really wanting to play like baseball and stuff like that with the other kids, uh, he couldn't. Um, and so his mom kept him inside and got him lessons to learn how to play the mandolin, uh, which is kind of like, kind of like a guitar thing, right? Is what a mandolin is. Okay. Right. I don't know. Every time I hear mandolin, I think of like Shakespeare, but I don't think those were a mandolin. I don't know. That's a lute. That's a lute. Okay. Which is also kind of like a little guitar. I don't know. Uh, so mandolin. So he learned how to play the mandolin. Um, and this would lead him to meet Philip Peters and his wife, Helen Peters. In 1899, the two met Theodore at the Mandolin Club, um, which I couldn't really find too much about because obviously this was 1899. Uh, so it's not like you could just Google what the Mandolin Club is. Uh, but... Uh, it sounds like it was just people getting together, maybe like playing music or learning new music or something like that. Because one of the articles from Murderpedia was saying something about Theodore actually teaching people how to play the mandolin, but I could only find that in one place. So I'm not sure what the whole get together of the mandolin club looked like. Isn't a um, mandolin more like a violin? I don't know. Are you looking it up? Yeah. Oh no, it's no, it's like a little it's, No, it's like a little guitar. A, I would call that a lute. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're the same. Maybe, who knows? Okay. I don't know. Oh yeah, it says it's a stringed musical instrument in the lute family. Okay. <laughs> well, so, then it is a lute. Then I it is. It. It's in the lute family. Okay. So anyway. So uh, he met the two there and he would sometimes, uh, Coney would sometimes attend dinner at the Peters house and they got to know each other, just kind of talking about like his mom and his family and things like that. Um, and so 
Coney didn't have a job or sorry, Coney's didn't. I keep calling him Coney, but it's Coney's. Um, Coney's did not have a job because since the doctors only told him he was going to live till he was 18, Mm -hmm. uh, they were like, well, his mom pulled him out of school and was like, what's the point? Um, And so he stopped going to school. I think when he was somewhere in high school, he stopped because by then it was like, well, we're not going to have him just be in school. Um, And he would also share with the Peters that he was mocked a lot growing up by others due to him being very thin and frail and not really able to do much. Um, And he did talk about being very upset when he would be mocked and things like that. And it, it really hurt him. Uh, when his mother passed, uh, Theodore was left with very little education and no work experience and no money and living past the age of 18. Mm-hmm. So he uh, found some odd jobs here and there, uh, but eventually became a drifter. Um, but not too much is known um, about his life during this era um, because the Great Depression was going on. So there were a lot of people just like, working on jobs, doing things. Uh, he would be part of like the little hobo cars on trains and all that kind of stuff. And, um, didn't really have, there wasn't a whole lot of information about where he was. Um, but after trying to become a salesman in New York, uh, he would eventually return to Denver in 1941. So we jumped ahead. Okay. Uh, in September of 1941, he's He's in his 50s at this point. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he lived way past (laughs) which is why I think maybe it was like tuberculosis and how they were learning about different things and stuff like that. Um, but it's also just really surprising that he was kind of on his own and had this respiratory illness and managed to survive without any sort of like doctor's visits or medications or anything. You know what I mean? Like they were like help. Um, But in September of 1941, Coney's looked for Philip Peters, hoping to be able to ask for some money. And here's where I get a couple different stories, because I think um, Coney's was part of, like, where they got some of this information from. Um, But again, as we keep writing into, sometimes the problem with lesser known cases is we don't have a whole lot of, like, information. Yeah. Um, So some people say he was looking for him. Some articles said that he kind of plot, like, he purposefully like staged a place a area a, a way to run into peters because he wanted money okay. um, and when he finally found him or bumped into him on purpose however he did it uh he told philip about his struggles and how he needed to get back on his feet he had shared like the loss of his mom and all kinds of this stuff like just again they didn't really have any money he told him about his struggles and how he needed help to get back on his feet um but Helen Peters had just broken her hip. Uh, so Peters was kind of like, no, can't help you. Like, I got nothing to help you. And also in some articles, I was saying like, he just kind of was like, I don't, I barely know this guy. Like, why would I? We're just from the mandolin club. Settle down. <laughs> yeah. Back in like the yeah. early 1900s. So. I knew you 30 years ago. Go away. <laughs> yeah. And so. Um, a few days later, Coney's decided to reach out again. Um, and this time he went to the Peters residence. Um, he discovered the door was unlocked and let himself in after there was no movement, nobody came to the door or anything. So he helped himself to some food and kind of 
went through some stuff to see like he was thinking about robbing the place, but then he got the idea um, because he started to think about all that was waiting for him when he left the house. Um, it was September, which meant that it was starting uh, to get colder in Colorado. So he was looking at being on the streets during a really winter. snowy, cold winter. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is taking place in Denver, which is like the mile high city. So yeah, you're really up there and it's very cold. Um, so he found he, while he, he kept looking for stuff and thinking about that and he ended up finding a small crawl space in a closet that led to a small attic um and decided to stay and so he took some food went up there oh, and yeah. stayed in this attic okay. <laughs> um this room as i say yeah. in air quotes um was about the size of like it was a bit larger than a coffin um oh. is how it was described so it's a very yeah. small attic space um and he there was a small light bulb kind of coming from the ceiling um and the crawl space entrance was no more than a couple feet wide and but remember coney's is very thin Um, so he was able to get it there uh there was this coney fashioned a bed for himself out of like an ironing board and some newspapers and stuff um And he would stay still and quiet whenever Philip was home. Because remember, his wife's in the hospital, so she's not doing it. She's recovering. And he would only come down to get more food. Um, After a while, though, he started to get a little bit more confident, um, even stating that he would shadow Philip from room to room just to get, like, a thrill, like, almost like a game. Oh, that's so creepy. Yeah. (laughs) So he would kind of follow him around just trying to entertain himself because he's up there so about five weeks later on october 17th 1941 um coney's thought he heard philip leave the house so he came down to grab some food philip who turns out was only napping and was still in the house caught coney's in the kitchen um (laughs) yeah can you imagine seeing some dudes in your kitchen uh, and then realizing that you know who it is. <laughs> yeah. So they don't think that he recognized him. Oh, okay. because, I mean, like in that second, and also he saw this dude. Possibly, some places say that he hadn't seen him in thirty years, and other places were like, "No, he found the guy, asked for money, and the guy said no." Yeah. Um. Either way, though, in a split second, and also oh, Philip is like seventy three at this point. Oh, so just the fact that you're just looking at some stranger in your kitchen, you're not immediately saying like, "Oh, I know this dude who." is a homeless man and looks like a homeless man. So Philip hit Coney's with a cane that he carried. Um, but on um, Wikipedia, it said that Coney's hit him with a pistol that he had found in the house earlier. It doesn't say he tried to shoot him at all, which makes me think that maybe he found the pistol but never found bullets for it or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, when the gun broke apart, however, Coney's panicked um, and he grabbed the iron stove shaker and beat Philip to death. Um, which we will have a picture of an iron stove shaker on the blog for this episode because I had no idea what it was. I had to look it up. Um, and it's basically like, a, from what I can find, it looks like a little crank. A crank. There you go. Um, I kept wanting to say wrench and I'm like, it doesn't look like a wrench. It's a crank for like a stove that I guess is supposed to, like back in the day, those stoves, you needed to kind of get rid of any ash or anything like that. So the crank would help with that. 
I'm not entirely sure if you know different, but this was all that I could find on Google that didn't look like a full on stove because it I'll kept ask find- if my parents know what it is. Okay. Like, add it they- to the blog if they do. Yeah, because I kept Googling it and it was giving me the entire like stove, like a little black shaker stove. And I was like, there's no way this dude picked up a stove and hit a guy with it. So I think it's this little crank that I keep seeing. Um, So either way, very heavy because it's iron. Um, And so he beat Philip to death and left him on the ground. So like I said, Philip was 73 years old at the time. Ponies cleaned off the shaker and then retreated back up to the crawl space um, into the little attic. Um, So later that evening, a neighbor of the Peters came by to check on Philip since he had been having a hard time with Helen in the hospital and being elderly. Um, He had been going to dinner at the neighbor's house um, just to kind of keep him fed and and visit. Um, And he didn't show up that night. So she went to go check. Um, And I, it doesn't say, it says she discovered the body, but it doesn't really say how. I'm assuming she saw it through a window or something like that. Um, but she ended up calling the police. The police arrived to find all the doors and windows were locked and intact, so nothing was broken or anything like that. Um, so they were very confused as to how somebody got in the house because it didn't look like somebody had like rushed the door and then locked it and left. I yeah. don't know how the locks worked back in the 40s, so I don't know if you could even lock the door and then close it on yourself. I don't know. Either way, everything was locked. There could have been no way that someone came in and out. Um, They did note the trap door um, in the closet, but disregarded it due to how small it was, believing that nobody would, no normal person would be able to fit up there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Helen Peters recovered from her injury and ended up returning home and she moved in with the housekeeper and hired a housekeeper to go with her so that way she because again she's elderly too um and now has is still recovering from a broken hip Hip, and and now her husband has passed yes so both women reported hearing strange sounds in the house coming from the walls people uh claim to have seen the ghost of mr peters wandering around and this caused rumors to be spread that the house was haunted so Um, And it didn't say who the people were that were saying to see the ghost. I don't know if it was the women or if it was just like neighbors Mm. or people seeing shadows walk by. So allegedly, Miss Peters called the police so many times that they just wrote her off as being crazy. And they were like, okay. Oh, no. Yeah, because everyone was saying the house was haunted. And like, they checked everything. They were in the house. And so the housekeeper eventually quit because... She totally believed that the house was haunted. Yeah, and was like, I'm not doing this anymore. So this, and then around the same time, it didn't say how much time had passed. I'm assuming this happened pretty close together. But Miss Peters went to live with her son in Western Colorado. I believe he lived in Grand Junction. Um, So the house remained vacant, and uh, Coney's continued to live upstairs. Um, And so he would, again, come down, but now nobody's living in the house. So it didn't give me an exact date on when the housekeeper quit and Miss Peters went to live with her son. Um, But the police were doing routine checks after people had kept claiming to see a ghost walking around. And the police were like, okay, it's probably just some local kids or pranksters trying to, like, break in or whatever. So they would do routine checks. On July 30th, 1942, so we are almost a year later, 
uh, police were doing a routine check when they heard a lock click upstairs. So they rushed upstairs to try to figure out where that noise came from. And they saw Coney, Coney's feet coming up out of the crawl space as he headed oh, back to the attic. So they were able to see him. Uh, when they got him down, he was emaciated and dirty. Um, paramedics cared for him and gave him food to eat. Um, and then he was taken into custody. Um, he confessed to the crimes. He claimed that he didn't want to kill Philip, but he felt that he had no other choice once he was caught um, because he didn't want to spend another winter on the streets. Um, yeah. And so I mean, he that's just, sad, but it's like, yeah. But that's also, that escalated that. real quick there. Yeah, it did. And so uh, he was tried and given a life sentence at the Colorado State Penitentiary. Um, there, he worked as a librarian until his death at the prison hospital on May 16th, 1967, um, which is, again, way longer than the 18-year yeah. life expectancy uh, that the doctors gave him. And so local newspapers dubbed him the Denver Spider-Man uh, after the police said that someone would have to have spider legs to fit up that crawl space um, because of how small it was and there were pictures online it is tiny like they were not exaggerating when they said it's like a little bigger than a coffin so how this guy lived up there for so long is beyond me there were also other things that said like when he was confessing he was telling them that because he was up there for almost a year so he was like yeah mm -hmm. in the summer it got really really hot in the winter my feet were really really cold because he didn't it didn't say he stole like a blanket yeah, or anything like food. that he was just up there with newspapers and food which again like i feel like if you're taking food up there why wouldn't you and they're and they're not noticing it why wouldn't you take yeah. like a blanket blanket or, mm -hmm. um especially because it's i mean you're in an attic it's not like it's insulated to no. keep anybody warm um so yeah so he said he doesn't i mean he just toughed it out and stayed there because it was better than being on the street so um, I know it was a kind of short story. There wasn't a whole lot, um, but I did think it was very interesting because that fact of just like somebody living in your house, house. and oh. you not knowing it um, is terrifying. Um, and also too, it just really creeped me out the fact that he was like following the guy and the guy had yeah. no idea. Like no that's idea. probably one of my worst fears <laughs> is that there's somebody around that I can't see. Oh. Um, and yeah, so it, and apparently they've covered that. So it was, um, I guess they did an episode of CSI, I believe, um, oh. where they kind of, it's similar. It's not this exact thing. <laughs> yeah. They kind of modernized it. Um, I think it's an episode called Stalker. Um, I'll have to look it up and we'll add it to the blog what that episode was. But um, they've played off of it because it, I mean, yeah. it's an interesting story. And the crawl space did look tiny. They have a picture of a cop kind of lifting himself up there and it almost looks like his shoulders won't fit up like he's just kind of like there um and so yeah so this this guy lived there and unfortunately he felt the need to kill philip and he even told the cops like he'd still be alive if he hadn't caught like if i had known he was still in the house because he wouldn't have tried to risk it like the only reason he went down is because he thought he was gone um but can yeah. you imagine how long he might have lived in that house oh if he was a like if they he didn't get caught like how yeah. long he would well, live yeah. there that's crazy yeah so that was the case of the denver spider-man again sorry it's a little shorter but i that's think okay because mine was a little bit long today 
Yeah, but I thought it was just a really interesting story. No, that is interesting. It's totally creepy. It so, is. It just reminded me of um, when I went to school in Kansas, I lived in this elderly woman's basement mm -hmm. uh, and with my roommate, Kate. And there was like one night I woke up and my elderly uh, landlord was standing in my my doorway. <laughs> and oh my she, she looked kind of skeletal. She was very, 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 very thin. She had Crohn's disease. So she was very skin, almost emaciated mm -hmm. looking. And can you imagine like waking up? <laughs> you oh my up God. And in the doorway is this like elderly white woman with white hair. <laughs> I would have moved out immediately. Really, you know oh, we did not stay much longer than that. <laughs> oh my God, that's terrifying. Crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, how many times? Because she wouldn't let us lock the door in between like the basement and hers because it was like just stairs and then like a basement she wouldn't let That's us lock the door yeah it was really weird. <laughs> i have a lot of weird stories <laughs> she was creepy she also kept stealing our our dvd player <laughs> oh my god yeah uh, and yeah. then she called my parents one time when my boyfriend spent the night <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> oh. Yeah, <sighs> crazy, but no, that, but like the really skinny, like just uh, like following you around that I always <sighs> felt like he was creeping. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and in this case, this dude was actually following this old guy and how he didn't get caught, but he got caught just because he thought he was gone and not yeah. playing that oh. game yeah. was, was crazy. And I wonder if he ever did it to, it didn't say too much about the wife living in the house like if he did that to them her and the housekeeper well, he obviously he moved around because how much noise could he make in a tiny crawl space i mean I, how much because he couldn't do a lot of moving so he probably was moving around the house at some point like yeah. when they would hear it and think it was a ghost oh mm -hmm. crazy yeah and that's what i either that or he would like roll over or something and then maybe like rocks or like pieces of the house would like fall in the wall yeah i don't know but oh. Yeah, but and yeah, even too cool. like how the like you wouldn't notice that little light bulb or like I don't know, just it's interesting to me. But yeah, so that was that's the Denver Spider Man, no relation to the Marvel superhero. <laughs> yep. Spider-Man Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Watch him swing your head watch him fly. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was really interesting and creepy and makes you like second guess parts of your house and where people can possibly live. Yes. So yeah. if you have an attic, I would check it. And if you have a basement, I would check that as well. So. <laughs> Unless you have people living in your basement, then don't go creeping on them. Yeah, there you go. Lady. which again is why I really like living in California because I don't a lot of California houses do we don't have basements because <laughs> we don't need them really so we don't need them and we don't have earthquakes or we have earthquakes not tornadoes <laughs> and even too like I don't think a lot of California houses have attics I don't know does your house have an attic mine doesn't have an attic uh we do well sort of I mean we can get mine's up like a crawl like, space yeah a crawl space I don't know if I do we've gone up there my brother's gone up there for reasons I don't know what no. Yeah, no. John's had to go up both above and because we have a crawl space below our house too. So oh yeah, we to have go. that too. He's had to go in both places. 
When I, we lived in Nebraska, we had to go into the crawl space, like if tornadoes were coming, because we didn't have a basement randomly in our house in Nebraska when I was growing up. So we'd have know. to drive in this little spider filled crawl space, and we'd always have Oof. to bring my dog Toby down with us. Oh, no. <laughs> it only happened a couple of times. We lived in Lincoln's in a little bit of a valley, so it doesn't like dip. So they go around but yeah see I can handle earthquakes I ain't messing with tor- I don't see and that's my biggest thing is every time I see like tornadoes and hurricanes and stuff I like I get people have to live some places mm-hmm. but I'm like dude the second a hurricane takes my house I'm like you know what I'm just I'm moving somewhere else like I'm not, dude, I'm not I almost moving. shit my pants when we had that earthquake here like not even that long ago and it was like a barely a rumble in Fresno and I panicked like you wouldn't believe I was like what the fuck is that oh shit, oh shit, what do I do? I started like standing up and like running around. I called my brother. I'm like, what do we do? What do we do? I don't know where to go. And it like barely shook our house at all. I'm like, give me Are a you talking about the ones this past, last summer? <laughs> oh yeah. my God, you were the tiniest thing. <laughs> and me and John are just sitting on the couch and we're like, oh, there's an earthquake. <laughs> okay, now it's done. <laughs> I'll be that when it's a tornado. Oh, see, no. In a tornado, I'd be like, nope. I'm like, where's, because uh, my only knowledge of tornadoes is the movie Twister. So I'm like, where's a pole and get a belt no, and a loop ourselves That would have killed them. It. That made no sense. That, that would have killed them. Hogwash of bullshit right there. Good movie, though. Yeah, I like movie. Twister. Flying cows. Um, yeah, the cows. Um, but oh, yeah, God. no earthquakes. Even too, like when I lived in Southern California, um, there they were worse there like there yeah there was maybe like two or three while I was down there and they were bigger than the ones we had in Fresno this past summer they weren't huge but it was enough one happened when I was in a dorm room in my dorm room when I lived off campus and it was that one wasn't too bad and then we had one when me and John lived in our uh, first apartment and that one was a little worse where I was like I panicked because I was in the room by myself and he was out in the living room with his friends and I like open the door and then I see them all standing in the doorway. So I'm like, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I mean, earthquakes in Fresno are pretty minor, so we don't really. Yeah, have to, yeah. It's not like we're diving under tables or anything. No, so <laughs> no, I just I stood in the room and just was spun around like an idiot. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely, if you live somewhere with uh, any sort of risk of natural disasters, please look up the safety. <laughs> yeah and don't panic like i did yeah don't panic stay calm figure out what you're supposed to do if you're visiting a place that is likely to get one of those things look up what you're supposed to do just in case you're supposed to go oh my god don't want to put other people in danger because you're panicking (laughs) yeah true um yeah so now it's time for our super fun state facts and cities (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to do it when we're on mic because one person gets one person gets cut out. Okay, so let me do the first part, and then you okay. do the and city part. Okay. okay, time for our super fun state facts. And cities. There you go. That's how we're going to have to do it. We'll switch who gets to do the long part. Okay, so do you so, want to go first with your yeah. city? Okay. Yeah, I can do my city fact. Uh, so my case took place in Denver, Colorado, and so a fun fact that I found about Denver uh, was that there are more marijuana dispensaries in the city of Denver than there are Starbucks's and McDonald's combined. So altogether, um, in Denver, there are a total of 446 dispensaries. 
Um, and that makes up half of, or like a little under half of the whole state because the whole state has a thousand and twenty-one medical and recreational dispensaries across the state. That's a lot in Denver. That is a lot. Whereas they only have a bit more than eighty Starbucks's and a tiny bit more, I think, or around thirty-one McDonald's, uh, which is around like a hundred something. So they have almost three times, right. four times the <laughs> amount of <laughs> marijuana hey. dispensaries, both hey. recreational and medical. You got to get that herbal libation somehow. Yeah. They but make also, heck of money. Government makes heck of money on that. Jack yeah, marijuana in Colorado. Yeah, with all the taxes, they were able to give money back to the residents of Colorado, I believe, the yeah. la like the first year they did that. I don't know if they were able to do it every year, but I know yes. there was a point in time where they were able to give the residents back more money because they made so much. So props to you, Colorado. Yeah. Good job. Hey. <laughs> California is probably moving that way. Fresno's still a little bit slow on it, but yeah. they're getting there. So. Yep. Hey, all so right. What about your Open city? Up. And I mean, this week we're, I mean, not while we're playing it, but while we're recording it, this is the week of 420. So that's a good fitting fact for her. <laughs> 420 was earlier this week. So, yep. Yeah. My friend texted me happy 420, and my mom saw the text and she's like, what's 420? <laughs> I was like, mom, you know, think about it. And she's like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, moms. <laughs> okay. So my, my city fact is going to be for Golden, Colorado. My case took place in Lakewood and Golden and then a little bit of Denver, but Golden, Colorado is the place I picked. So in 1868, Adolf, or Adolf, I guess, Adolf, I mean, I should know, we should know how to pronounce that name, sadly. Adolf Coors headed to America to live, because um, he wanted to live on his own terms by his own rule. Um, he was a German brewing apprentice, uh, with courage and conviction, he headed west in America and refused to rest until he found the perfect water for his beer. He found that water flowing through the mining town of Golden, Colorado, um, at the base of the Rocky Mountains where he founded the Golden Brewing Company, which still stands today. And do you know what that beer company is called today? Coors. That's right, Coors. <laughs> the Rocky Mountain Beer. It's oh, the there. beer where the mountains turn blue when your beer yep. is cold enough. Yeah, exactly. It's also the beer we used to use for beer pong, because not as expensive. <laughs> yeah. I, but I it's a step up from Natty Ice. <laughs> true, true. That is true. Um, so yeah, so it, Golden is where the Coors Brewing uh, Factory or brewery or whatever you want to call it is located. Um, the I did not write that little synopsis. That is from the Coors website. <laughs> I figured because you were really upselling that beer. <laughs> So I thought they were, they wrote it so beautifully and eloquently. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> yeah. And who knows, uh, maybe Coors Beer, if you're listening, please sponsor us. We, I mean, I've drank it before. So oh, I, I, don't mind, before. I don't mind drinking Coors again. That's cool. No, I played heck of beer pong. <laughs> that is, the, that is the beer of beer pong now, <laughs> especially yeah. if you're like just starting out drinking. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> you it's 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 one of the more affordable beers. You got that. My, you got natty my, well, well, I drink other beers. Um my friend Chrissy loved Coors, and I was always like, oh, okay, interesting. Like, when we would choose what beers to get, when we had a little bit more money and were more successful and everything, she'd always be like, make sure you get some Coors Light. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> please sponsor us. Yeah, please sponsor us, Coors. We promise we'll make it sound better than this. Mmm, <laughs> Coors. <laughs> the Rocky Mountain beer. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So the fun state fact, let me get it out here. Yeah. So, we only had a partial state fact with mine with the Colorado having 1,021 oh, dispensaries. Colorado having a shit ton of marijuana dispensaries. The first teddy bear was invented in Colorado when the maids at the Hotel Colorado in Glenwood Springs crafted it for its famous visitor, Teddy, or I guess Theodore Teddy Roosevelt. Um, so they created the teddy bear. I love teddy bears. I like teddy bears too. They're um, cool. I used so. to have a panda bear teddy bear when I was little. His name was Pan Pan. Oh. He was cute. <laughs> fun fact about me. <laughs> fun, fun fact about Pan Pan, the panda bear. I was very creative with my names, as you can see. Oh man, I'm trying, I had a, I have a koala, I've had, I've had a koala bear since I was seven, but I don't think I ever named him. Is that weird? I don't know. That was the only one I named because I also had a bear. It was more like a traditional teddy bear. It was just like a little tan bear and it had a pink ribbon on it that my uncle Mark got me when I was born. So I've had that. I still have that bear, but I don't think I ever named it that I remember. It's just a nice bear. I mean, I have, I still have a, a number of my teddy bears. When we participated in putting the teddy bears in the window for the teddy bear parade for kids when they're walking in the, for the quarantine, and mm -hmm. I had my choice of bears. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I am way too old to have a teddy stuffed animal. Oh, no, I still have a lot. Most of my stuffed animals are like giraffes now because everyone gets me different kinds yeah. of giraffes because those are my favorite animal fun fact about me yeah. um but uh no I think I still have a lot of my childhood stuffed animals I have some with me and then I think my mom has like a big old like storage bin in her house somewhere with all of my stuffed animals so. I have uh my cabbage patch doll that I adopted when I got adopted so nice. that's my and that that sits on my shelf like on my like in my room. That's so that's cool. my number one. Her name's Naraya. But she came with that name. I didn't name her. She she came with like I came when I was adopted, I came with the name Amber. I didn't change it. We didn't change it. Otherwise I would have been an Erica. So <laughs> I'm not an Erica. Definitely Thank you for not being an Erica. <laughs> um, so yeah. So no. So Naraya, my cabbage patch doll, she's from uh, Scotland. Nice. Oh, fancy. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I know. I, there was something going on online that it was like, if I could, if I had a different name, what do you think it would be? And I couldn't think like, I don't know. I don't think I could see another name for you other than no. Amber. I don't no, know. you're Selena, totally. Yeah, I know. It was either that or I was going to be named Sierra, but uh, 
continuing with fun facts about me during state facts, uh, my grandma, they talked my parents out of it. My grandma did because she was like, Sierra, like the mountains, she's going to get made fun of. So then they named me Selena, which uh, for those of you who don't know, is a singer. (laughs) And so then my entire life, I heard anything for Selena. (laughs) So I feel like I... I do. I spell it differently than the singer, but that didn't stop because it sounds the same. So oh, yeah. kids don't really care. But also, I don't think I ever would have heard Sierra Mountains being referenced for my name. I just no. think my grandma didn't like it. So she picked something and was like, nope, don't do that. Also, they were Stevie was also in the running, but my grandma definitely did not want me to be named Stevie. Um, I think I could have pulled off Stevie. Oh, you could. Like, yeah. I could have. So there you go. That would have been a name that maybe I No, every time I hear Stevie, I think of uh, Schitt's Creek. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But no, my parents did it because my mom likes Stevie Nicks, and my dad likes a guitarist, a blues guitarist named Stevie Rayvon. So they thought Stevie would be... That would have been cute. That would have been cute. Yeah, but my grandma said... There you go. So many names, so many possibilities, but my grandma was like, nope, because that's a boy's name. Wow. So, I know. I know. Learning just little information, little tidbits about about you and I. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed the stories as much as we enjoyed telling them. Um, If you like what you hear, uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SOM Podcast. We are now available on all the podcast things. So you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, uh, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Stitcher. A whole bunch of casts I've never heard of. Radio something. You can listen to us on everything, basically. If it's a podcast app, most likely we are on it. So uh, definitely take a listen. Although if you're already listening to this episode, you probably already know all those you things, can, if somebody like, else is like oh i can't listen to it because i only listen on this forum then nope because now they can listen to that's us on not anything. an excuse anymore we're not only on two nope we're on all the things so make sure to listen to us tell your friends if you like what you hear um we are adding stuff to the blog post so updates corrections things like that i know for last uh the arizona episode we are uh, we have the pronunciation of the last name that we weren't sure how to pronounce thanks to our friends crystal and oscar for doing that um If you have any corrections about this episode, any fun facts about a state that's coming up, um, any cases that you've heard of that you want us to research and talk about, uh, then make sure to email us at stateofmurderpodcast at gmail.com. And we'd like to hear from you guys. Yep. And next week we will be moving up to Wyoming. So I think it's one of the least populated states in America. So, that I don't know, but that could have been. A fun don't quote me on that yet, but maybe that'll be a fun fact that I'm totally wrong on. <laughs> yep. So we'll see you next week as we travel to Wyoming. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. Bye.